0: and welcome to the entertaining abstracts podcast i'm your host sarah and i've got a great show for you all today let's jump right in the first article we're going to talk about today is lobsters take a walk on the ocean floor after hurricanes and no one knows why steve waters wrote this article the strong waves kicked up by hurricane nicole along florida's atlantic coast will make for great lobstering this week after major storms that churn the ocean Divers and snorkelers look forward to a lobster walk when the seas subside and the water clears enough to see the crustaceans walking in a line in the sand. Scientists don't know why lobsters, which are informally called bugs, do this, but it's a sight to behold when dozens of bugs walk north in formation in 8 to 20 feet of water off local beaches. Lobstering expert Jim Chiefy Mathie says there was a major lobster walk last month following Hurricane Ian, which made landfall on Florida's Gulf Coast in late September. The turbulent waters caused by the storm resulted in a walk that lasted for two weeks, according to Matthew, a retired Deerfield Beach Fire Rescue Division chief, and the author of Catching the Bug, the comprehensive guide to catching the spiny lobster, which is available at South Florida dive shops and online at www.chiefy.net. Given the rough surf along the coast caused by Nicole, which passed through the region Wednesday night and Thursday morning, Matthew says he expects to see lobsters walking on Tuesday. It usually happens five days after a storm, said Matthew, who will head offshore in his boat to dive as soon as sea is calm. There is a lot of turbidity in the water, and when that clears, you'll be able to see the bugs walking. After a hurricane several years ago, Matthew and his friends went diving a few days after the storm, and the water was so dirty, he said the only way to tell he was at the bottom was when he touched down on it. Despite the poor visibility, he managed to shoot a red grouper with his spear gun, and one of his dive buddies caught a few lobsters. Catching lobsters is much easier when they're walking. Snorkelers can swim from the beach, look for the line of lobsters, and use a net or snare to capture their daily limit of six bugs. Matthew said that during the walk after Hurricane Ian, commercial lobster scuba divers that he knows simply sat on the bottom in the sand and waited for the lobsters to walk to them. Those divers easily caught their commercial daily limit of 250 bugs. What Matthew and his dive buddies like to do is check shallow spots off Deerfield Beach and Pompano Beach by having someone jump in the water with a dive mask, snorkel, and fins. Once walking lobsters are located, Matthew's crew will go to the bottom with their scuba tanks and pick out the six biggest bugs that they see. After Ian, we saw as many as 100 lobsters walking in a line, Matthew said. When we'd take one or two, the line would break up a little, and then there'd be 20 walking in a line. He added that typically the bigger lobsters are at the head of the line. Matthew also said that anglers on area fishing piers snagged some lobsters with hooks in their fishing lines, which is illegal. Law enforcement officers with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission are out on the water and on area beaches when lobsters are walking to make sure people are following the rules. Anyone catching lobsters must have a saltwater fishing license, which costs about $17 for Florida residents and a $5 spiny lobster permit. Spiny lobsters must have a minimum carapace length of more than 3 inches and must be measured in the water. Possession and use of a measuring device is required at all times. Lobsters must remain in whole condition while in or on the water. No egg-bearing females must be taken. Dive flags on boats must be at least 20 by 24 inches and have stiffeners to keep the flags unfurled. Dive flags on floats for those snorkeling or diving off the beach must be a minimum of 12 by 12 inches. Lobsters stop walking when they find new homes in the reefs and rock piles off South Florida. Matthew said it's not unusual, then, to find groups of bugs gathered under a ledge or coral head, which makes catching them almost as easy as when they're walking. They seem to be in a trance, Matthew said. It's like they're saying, catch me, catch me. So we take the biggest one first and then work our way through them. After getting a quick limit, Matthew and his buddies then grab their spear guns and hunt for grouper and mutton snapper. The sandy water stirred up by the storms force the fish to head offshore. As the water clears, the hungry fish return to the reefs, often as shallow as 30 to 50 feet. Wow, that is interesting. Next article. First sentence ever found in ancient alphabet, and it's about beard lice. Isaac Schultz wrote this article. Archaeologists in Israel say they found the first known written sentence in Canaanite, an alphabet used by the long-ago inhabitants of the region and until now lost to time. The sentence, comprising of 17 Canaanite characters, totaling seven words, was incised on an ivory comb carved from an elephant tusk. It says, May this tusk root out the lice of the hair and the beard. The comb was found on the site of Tel Lachish, a Bronze Age settlement about 25 miles from Jerusalem. It's about 1.38 inches by 0.98 inches, though its teeth have long since broken off. Details of the script, characters, and meaning were published today in the Jerusalem Journal of Archaeology. This is the first sentence ever found in the Canaanite language in Israel, says an archaeology professor at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and co-author of the study in a university release. There are Canaanites in Ugarit in Syria, but they write in a different script, not the alphabet that is used till today. In an email to Gizmodo, Garfinkel added that the comb was likely made in Egypt and then brought to Tel Lachish, where a local inscribed the Delousing Plea. According to Garfinkel's team, the Combs markings are the first entire sentence written in the Canaanite language, one of the first known alphabets. The Sumerians and Egyptians have even older scripts. Now an Israel, Nature, and Parks Authority site, Tel Lachish, was a lively city center for about 600 years, from about 1800 BC to 1150 BCE. The comb was discovered during 2017 excavations, but the lettering was only noticed this year. Like many modern lice comb, the Levantine comb had teeth on both sides. One set of teeth was thicker to untangle and sort out larger bunches of hair. The other set was much finer, likely to pull lice and their eggs out of the hair. Happily for the comb's owner, the tool was doing its job. Under a microscope, researchers found the remains of head lice in the tool's second tooth. If you didn't feel close to the past seeing ancient Canaanite writing, perhaps the chitinous membrane of a Bronze Age louse will push you over the line. Canaanite inscriptions, but not full sentences, have been found before. At Tel Lachish, archaeologists have found ten inscriptions so far, including the comb, more than any other site in Israel. Time will tell what other ancient writing is waiting to be found. Perhaps there's a Canaanite equivalent of the old Sumerian bar joke, preferably with the punchline intact. Next article. Student spots elusive critter on forest floor, one that hasn't been seen in 80 years. And Allison Cutler wrote this article. University of Sydney student Maxim Adams was scouring the leafy floor of Australia's Lord Howe Island in July when he turned over a rock and found himself staring at an unbelievable sight. No, Adams thought to himself, it can't be. Nestled under the rock and frantically scrambling back to safety was a wingless wood-eating cockroach, an animal that hasn't been seen since the 1930s, the New South Wales Department of Planning and Environment reported in a news release. While the find may cause the average person to reel, it was a jaw-dropping discovery for Adams, a student at the University of Sydney School of Life and Environmental Services, and his professor, Nathan Lowe. The insect was thought to be extinct for more than 80 years, according to a release from the University of Sydney. "'I lifted at the rock under the huge banyan tree, and there it was,' Adams said in the release." Adams, Lowe, and the DPE senior scientist Nicholas Carlisle found families of the roaches under the banyan tree. After a week of searching the area, the single banyan tree seemed to be the only place the roaches were found, the university release said. Rats escaped onto Lord Howe Island in 1918, which caused a rapid collapse of the suite of unique fauna and a loss of many invertebrate species, according to the New South Wales DPE release. One of those species was believed to have been wingless wood-eating cockroaches. The survival is great news, as it has been more than 80 years since it was last seen, Lord Howe Island board chair Atticus Fleming said in the university release. Lord Howe Island really is a spectacular place. It's older than the Galapagos Islands, and it's home to 1,600 native invertebrate species, half of which are found nowhere else in the world. Eight cockroaches were taken back to the University of Sydney for further research with permission from the authorities, the DPE said in its release. Wow, I don't know if I would be excited or creeped out by seeing something like that. Interesting. Next article. 5,000-year-old silver ring found in Oman gives peek into ancient culture, experts say. Aspen Plugholt wrote this article. A distinct piece of silver jewelry found among the ruins of a prehistoric site has given archaeologists a glimpse into ancient Middle Eastern cultures. A joint team of American and Omanite archaeologists unearthed a significant archaeological site in the northern Al-Batana government, according to a Monday news release. The site at Dawah dates back at least 5,000 years to the early Bronze Age, professors say. The oldest permanent settlement in the region, the site was established by a community known as the Um Umm Al-Nar culture. Excavations of the Dawah site revealed the ruins of multiple stone buildings, including warehouses, administrative buildings, ritual buildings, and an industrial building for processing copper ore, the ministry said. Each building was the first of its kind in Oman. One building in particular stood out from the rest. It was a tomb. The tomb Excavated by Professor Kimberly Williams for Temple University in Philadelphia, contained skeletal remains, imported and local pottery, and jewelry, Williams said in the release. Her team discovered silver beads from a necklace and rings. One silver ring had a distinctive seal engraved on it, showing a bison. The symbol belonged to the Harappan cultures of Indus Valley, an ancient civilization located hundreds of miles away in modern-day Pakistan in India. Analyzing the ring closer, Dr. Dennis' friends found four ancient cultures were linked to it. Silver from Turkey, a design from Pakistan and India, a silversmith in Iraq, and a burial in Oman, the release said. Economic and cultural relationships between these ancient peoples echo today's modern global exchange. The silver ring was likely used as a seal, and is one of the oldest of its kind, say professors. Similar rings have been found from later time periods, but the age of this ring indicates Bronze Age people were more intelligent and technologically advanced than experts once thought. The site at Dawah is one of five ancient Umm Al-Nar settlements, discovered by al Juri and his team of archaeologists. Um al-Nar means Mother of Fire, the ministry said in a Facebook post. The name comes from the island of the same name off the coast of the United Arab Emirates, where remnants of this ancient people were first rediscovered. Dawa is about 120 miles northwest of Muscat, the capital city of Oman. Wow, that's some interesting stuff. Next article six ancient cities stacked on top of each other reveal thousands of artifacts in China. Aspen Pluto wrote this article as well. Excavations of an ancient Chinese city unearthed large carved stone murals, a bridge, and thousands of other artifacts. Buried deep and deeper in the ground, researchers found six ancient cities stacked on top of each other. The cities have been covered by mud and sand when the nearby Yellow River flooded. Bridges, waterways, temples, houses, roads, walls, and shipwrecks dating back to 780 AD reemerged with the archaeologists' excavations. The layered cities held more than 60,000 artifacts, but one of the artifacts dominated all the rest – a pair of stone murals. The stunningly carved stone murals date back to the Song Dynasty, which was 960 to 1276, and they are the largest of their kind ever found in China. Each mural is over 10 feet tall and almost 100 feet wide, and there's more to excavate. Researchers expect the murals will be about 330 feet long when fully uncovered. So far, seahorses, cranes, clouds, and other symbolic imagery have been revealed on the stone slabs. Other findings indicate pottery, porcelain, jade, gold, and other things. Kaifeng is about 525 miles northwest of Shanghai. Wow, well stay tuned for more interesting stuff from that. Next article. Tupperware unearthed in Italy is 1,600 years old and reveals life in ancient Rome. And Aspen Plutoff wrote this article as well. Archaeologists in Italy unearthed Tupperware over 1,600 years old that reveals more about day-to-day life in the ancient Roman Empire. A joint team of international archaeologists began excavating the ruins of Faulari Novi, an ancient city founded over 2,200 years ago, about 30 miles north of Rome, according to a news release from the University of Toronto. The city is now buried under fields and olive tree groves, but at its peak, it housed about 15,000 residents. The excavations revealed original city walls, coins, a market building, and a house believed to belong to an elite family. The teams began to find one type of item so frequently that they dubbed it the Tupperware of Antiquity. Ceramics are the most ubiquitous material found in a dig. Pottery is durable and so it preserves well. And there was a lot of pottery made for all sorts of purposes in antiquity. So ceramics are kind of like a Tupperware for its commonality. And we can figure out ways to study it to shed light on past society. Studying pieces of ceramics, archeologists can learn where and when they were made, identifying trade routes, and even assess the artist's skill level. And from these sorts of things, you can understand production routes, consumption patterns, and the webs of economic network attaching themselves to that place. And it's from that day-to-day experience we can start to reconstruct in a way that we've never done before. We were finding the interesting mixes of materials, really nice glass and bronze vessels, as well as coins and high-quality imported pottery from Africa, but also tools or commercial objects like weights we're seeing this transformation of urban space. So far at Falari Novi, most finds have dated back to the 5th and 6th century. Future excavations hope to unearth even older artifacts. The excavations at Falari Novi are an ongoing five-year project involving the University of Toronto, Harvard University, and the British School at Rome, overseen by archaeologists in Italy. Tupperware is a brand of lightweight, non-breakable plastic containers that were introduced in the mid-1940s. The product is largely sold through direct marketing, which became known as Tupperware parties. Some people use the term Tupperware to generically refer to plastic storage containers. For those of you who don't know what Tupperware is, next article. 100 years after Tutankhamun's discovery, new finds revealed more of ancient Egypt's secrets. Kelly Colabella and Laura Sarabia, as well as Leila Sakur, wrote this article. A century after the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb made headlines around the world, in the sweltering desert heat just outside of Cairo, a small team is still making new finds in ancient Egypt. Digging layer by layer in the Saqqara site in Giza, moving earth one bucket at a time, archaeologists have found a giant trove of ancient coffins and mummies along with ceramic amulet believed to have been used in burial rituals and thick papyrus documents. Egypt's former state minister of antiquities told NBC News Wednesday that the site contained countless other artifacts relating to another pharaoh, King Teti, and his followers who worshipped him as a god for 1,000 years after his death. The remains of King Tutankhamun's close generals and advisors were also at the site, which sits about 20 minutes south of the North African nation's capital. I really believe that this year and next year, this site is going to be the most important one in Egypt, says Hawass, referring to the network of underground rooms hidden 65 feet beneath the oldest pyramids in Egypt. I always say we found until now only 30% of our monuments and 70% are still buried underground. The discovery of so many new coffins in the region could be because Teti was worshipped as a god in the new kingdom, and everyone wanted to be buried alongside of him, Hawa said, adding that his team had found close to 300 coffins in the vicinity of his pyramid this year, most of them in good condition. Believed to have ruled for approximately 12 years, between 2300 and 2181 BC, Teti was the first king of the 6th dynasty of ancient Egypt. Although Teti's sarcophagus is 4,300 years old, people continued to be buried next to him for more than 1,000 years because they wanted his protection. After the mummies were exhumed from the site, archaeologists x-rayed and determined their ages at death, any diseases they might have carried in their lifetime, and what might have killed them. Teams then carry out a process of careful conservation and begin to record and archive newly uncovered antiquities. Hawa said the coffins and antiquities found at the site would likely be displayed in the Grand Egyptian Museum in Giza, which is scheduled to open next year, although the project has stalled numerous times because of political instability and a lack of government funding. Numerous objects associated with Tutankhamun are also set to be displayed there, although the boy king's famous death mask and sarcophagus are still on display at the Egyptian Museum in Cairo in the interests of preserving tourism. Tutankhamun's tomb was discovered in 1922, nearly 400 miles south of the site in Giza, in the Valley of the Kings in Luxor, by archaeologist Howard Carter. Believed to have been a pharaoh when he was 8 or 9 years old, in about 1334 B.C., Tutankhamun ruled until his death 10 years later, and is believed to have suffered from numerous illnesses and disabilities, including a flat foot, circulatory problems, and malaria. Undisturbed by grave robbers, the tomb was almost completely intact when Carter discovered it. Inside, he found there were four big shrines, and he took them out by ropes and under the shrines he found the golden coffins, three coffins, adding that among the 5,000 artifacts found in the burial chambers was a golden dagger to protect Tutuk in the afterlife, an ornate throne engraved with the love story of his father and mother, and containers of beer and wine. In ancient Egypt, gold was like dust, says Hawass, who could not quantify how much this heritage was worth to modern Egyptians. As an archaeologist, if you give me the whole money of the United States and England, I would say no, he said. This heritage belongs to everyone. Wow. And one last article. This one is called, A 140-year-old pair of Levi's was found in a mine shaft. They just sold for over $87,000. And Rachel Cormack wrote this article. Turns out gold isn't the only valuable thing you can find in a mine. A pair of vintage Levi's discovered in an abandoned mine shaft in the American West recently sold for $87,400 at an auction in New Mexico. The jeans, which date back to the 1880s, were unearthed by self-described denim archaeologist Michael Harris several years ago before they were snapped up by a pair of vintage clothing dealers at the Durango Vintage Festivus on October 1st. I'm still kind of bewildered, just surprised in myself for even purchasing them," Kyle Halpert, who bought the jeans from Zip Stevenson, told the Wall Street Journal. As Levi's of this age rarely come up at auction, they are especially sought after among collectors. This particular pair, which are apparently still in wearable condition, features spatters of wax from the candles miners used to light the narrow tunnels. Other notable details that are specific to jeans of this era include a cloth patch along the belt line, a buckle back adjuster along the seat, suspender buttons, and a single back pocket. In addition, there is a label on the inside of the jeans that reads, The Only Kind Made by White Labor. The company introduced the slogan after the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which barred Chinese workers from entering the U.S. at a time of rampant discrimination. In fact, Levi's even had an anti-Chinese labor policy in place during this time. It's wild to see that, Halpert added. That's how old these jeans are. The slogan and policy were both scrapped in the 1890s, according to Levi's spokesperson, who added that the brand is wholly committed to using our platform and our voice to advocate for real equality and to fight against racism in all its forms. The Chinese Exclusion Act was repealed in 1943, and later condemned by Congress in 2011 and 2012. The auction of the jeans was a clear highlight of the four-day Durango Vintage Festivus. Indeed, one video of the bidding has been viewed more than 7,000 times. Collectors probably won't find the final hammer price that surprising, though. Levi's from the 19th century routinely attract thousands at auction. In 2018, a pair from 1893 sold for nearly $1 hundred thousand dollars through a private sale to a buyer in asia just imagine what your biggies could be worth in a century wow that is interesting indeed Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at entertainingabstracts at gmail.com. And please join us again next episode when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stories. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye!